Alex, do you know what I love more than eating pizza off a dead guy's body at a slumber party? There's nothing better than that. <laughs> I know. It's it's hard to rival it, but it is starting a season with a 77-minute runtime movie. Oh, yeah. Delicious. <laughs> Welcome to season four of the Girls Who Cry Me Horror. My favorite thing before I go any further is everyone always asking me like, you guys do seasons, but like you don't take a break. And I'm like, right. And they're like, so what's the point? And I'm like, because we fucking want to. <laughs> because um, we need to know the one year is a season. Duh. Exactly. Just- also, it gives us the option to stop and start if we need to. I digress. Um. Anyways, <laughs> hi, everybody. Um. Welcome back to the Girls Who Cry Me Horror. As always, I am Anya. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex. I cannot believe if you told me four years ago, we're still going to be doing this shit. I would have been like, no. All right. All right. She would have been I like, girl, so. I'm not trying to be friends with Anya that long. Please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think the last three years have been great. They had, three and a she half. She says, you know? fourth smile gunned in the back of her fucking head. <laughs> um, yeah. And so obviously, if you've been following along the pod for this long, thank you, first and foremost. But we obviously started every season with um, a sleepaway camp episode. Mm-hmm. Um, sleepaway, camp, sleepaway camp one, two, and three. There is another sleepaway camp movie, but it is not currently available to stream or anything anywhere. It's not even like I would have even gone as far as like if someone uploaded it to YouTube, we'd be good. Mm-hmm. But we try to keep consistent here, you know, making these movies available to watch at least at the time of our release so that like you can watch and listen or whatever. So it became time that we had to step away from that franchise and ring in a new one. Um, and we're doing that with another insanely good franchise, which is uh, the Slumber Party Massacre films, um, which for a period of time in my life, I thought was a fake movie. I don't know what, what I saw. Yeah, I, I like saw something <laughs> somewhere where it was like, I don't know why the fuck I thought this. Like I saw posters for it, whatever, but I was like, oh, this is like, like a spoof or like not even a spoof but i was just like mm. it's like a fake title and they're like oh like wouldn't this i don't know how to describe it but like that's how i thought of it i feel like somebody like said something somewhere and then i finally was like oh no it is a real movie okay so did you think that it didn't exist at all and it was just a poster or did you think it was like a scary movie type movie or like a like a dude bro I, th- I didn't think it existed at all okay so you thought I it was just it like was a, a fake poster a fake poster or like, like a fake name okay. and i thought it was like a long-running joke of some kind, girl. Don't even ask me where the fuck my brain. And you're creating her own fucking lore. I love it. No, <laughs> I created my own Slumber Party Massacre lore, and that's what made it even better for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, not a first time watch for either of us. How many times have you seen this movie now? Do you know? Um, technically, I've seen it three times, but I don't count the first time because it was one of those things where, like, I was watching it with Christine, and we hadn't seen each other, so then we ended up just like catching up while it played in the background. So doesn't count so really two times um and i've obviously seen the sequel which 
I love, which I can't wait yes. for next year already. I'm like, <laughs> you bring me fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 2024. Um, but I have not seen the third one. So I'm not complete in the series just yet. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think three times for me. Um, and yeah, I don't remember the first time I watched it. I just remember kind of being like, I think the realization of like, okay, it's a real movie. I, I should watch <laughs> it now then. Um and being delighted by it and being like, oh, great. Like, thank God I didn't like watch that movie that I had. this like, I feel like unintentionally this big buildup in my head for because I was like, oh, it's not, damn, it's not a real movie. I wish there was a real movie called Slumber Party Massacre. And then being like, there is a real movie called Slumber Party Massacre. And it would have sucked if I watched it. And I was like, oh, what well, fucking blows. Well, yeah, um, I think it would have sucked also if like it was not written and directed by women and correct. like a feminist piece of art. You know, yes, which we will it helps so get much. into deeply, of course. for sure. I, don't, I mean, imagine um, we didn't talk about that on this podcast. At all. <laughs> we were like, this is going to be a really short 20-minute uh, episode. Yeah, movie was fun. Um, <laughs> no, there's so much to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, as Alex already brought up and we will bring up later, I mean, if you're not familiar with this movie, definitely check it out. And as per usual, if you're looking to stream it before we go any further, um, available a fuckload of places. It's available, mm-hmm. of course, on our favorite, Shudder. It's also available on Arrow if you are a subscriber to Arrow. And then for more free options, it's available on Voodoo Free, Tubi, the Roku Channel, Popcorn Flicks, Pluto TV. I'm sure a plethora of others. Last night, right after I rewatched this, Cornelia came over and we watched uh, Peter Jackson's Bad Taste for the first I saw time. I you log it, yeah. Which is an experience and I'm sure something that has a possibility of making us way into this podcast at some point. But we were looking for it. And we like looked it up on the Roku and it tells you like, oh, where it's available to stream. And it, it brings up all these random free TV apps that I've never seen before. Like, I feel like I recognize most of them. It was random shit like the Halloween channel and like shit <laughs> like that. And whatever one we picked was like, I don't know, like the Fright channel or the Fright network. And we watch it and it played whatever. But all the ads looked like they were made in like Windows Movie Maker in like, 2010 and it was all like the same like concrete background and it was clearly just like whoever owns this app was just like trying to advertise like all the properties that they own it was <laughs> marvelous to have that cut between all the other insane shit oh, and i'm so taste. jealous <laughs> um i literally we were fucking wheezing like i was like kicking the goddamn coffee table oh my god it was the best experience which then i was like worried i was like oh no I've had this incredibly euphoric experience right after watching Slumber Party Massacre and like has it outshined that. So I cleansed my palate by watching the absolute fucking sludge that is um, Ghosted, the Apple TV, Ana de Armas. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I feel like I've seen enough clips on Twitter that I feel like I've seen the film. Dog, deplorable. You have, it's like, and at everything else, two hours. Why the fuck is this movie two hours as per usual? Anyways, I digress. So I'm back <laughs> in my Slumber Party Massacre. I'm like, oh, amazing movie. Um, and it's 77 minutes long. It's so but, short. It's so beautiful. Um, God, it's a goddamn gift. Before we mm-hmm. get into, I have a good amount of some fun uh, fact BTS nice. stuff. Before we get into that, Alex, would you like to tell our audience, they're unfamiliar with Slumber Party Massacre, what it's all about? Yes. Per usual, I forgot to prepare for this. <laughs> but you know what? I've seen the movies. So we we're going to just go with it. I love I love being whenever Anya does the background being like I don't have to prepare anything and then I get here and I'm like here's all the things I didn't prepare for um yeah so Silver Party Massacre as we said is a very short film but so they jump straight in the film opens on both a newspaper headline and a radio 
show saying that there has been an escaped convict named Russ Thorne who has killed five and he is on the lam. You got to keep your eye out for Russ Thorne. They say it over and over and over again. Um, But our protagonist, Trish, is this 18-year-old girl who just wants to hang out with her friends and play basketball. So she's not paying attention to the news. Um, Her parents are leaving for the weekend, so she's going to throw a really fun slumber party with her friends and her parents have entrusted her neighbor, Mr. Canton to, or Contant, I believe his name is, to keep an eye on her make sure that she doesn't get in, into any trouble. And he's a little bit creepy, but overall fine. Um, when we get to school, we meet Trish and all of her friends after a rousing basketball game and a rousing shower scene um, where they discuss the slumber party and Trish wa- really wants to invite new girl, Valerie, who happens to live across the street from her because she wants to include her and make her feel welcome. But Diane, who is her snobby friend, is jealous of Valerie because she's hot and she plays basketball really well. So she is like, no girl, I do not want her at this party. Trish does not care and says, I'm, you know, that's rude. I'm going to invite her anyway. But Valerie has overheard and to save herself embarrassment, she just says she's busy and declines the invitation. So As the girls are heading back home, we get a little bit of Russ Thorne, aka the Driller Killer, as he offs two women pretty quick back to back, a phone repair woman and um, a student who I believe is part of that friend group, um, played by um, a a B-Horror icon. I'm not sure if you're going to bring her up, so I don't want to ruin the surprise if you are. I definitely will, but you can say it. Okay. Uh, Brink Stevens from... Uh, I mean, we know her from Sorority Babes in the Slime Balbolorama, as is Valerie's, uh, the actress who plays Valerie. Um, so they they both pass, and we get the first glimpses of the driller killer with his uh, electric, is it electric drill? Because it's not, like, yeah. plugged in. It's, it's yeah. not plugged into the wall. His very phallic drill that he kills these women with. Um Meanwhile, we cut back to nighttime. Trish is home. She's waiting for her friends to come over for the slumber party. Mr. Content is creepily just in her house, making himself at home. Uh, when her three friends arrive with beer and Maui Wowie weed, ready to have a good <laughs> fucking time. Uh, and, you know, it kind of is just girls having a slumber party, hanging out, chatting, talking sports while the boys in their life are trying to spy on them and trying to get them away so they can like hook up with them. Um, Meanwhile, Valerie next door is with her sister, Courtney, and they're having a nice evening in, but Courtney is a horned up little teen and she wants to go to the party and Valerie is telling her no and that they have to stay away. So those two plot lines are pretty much happening at the same time while the driller killer is slowly offing one by one, starting with the men, of course, and eventually getting to the main group of women, um, which also includes their basketball coach uh, for some reason. Um, Mm -hmm. It all culminates in a big showdown between Trish, Valerie, and Courtney as they attack the driller killer and defend themselves and survive the night, but have a lot of trauma very clearly by the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is Slumber Party Massacre. You fucking nailed it. Um, Well, on that note, let's get into some fun BTS about um, said film. So this film is very low budget. Let's be clear about that. 
from the jump. Um, This is executive produced by Roger Corman, who, um, if you're not a huge film person um, or if you need some refreshing, Roger Corman has executive produced and produced a fuckload of movies. He has Mm -hmm. his hand in a lot of horror, a lot of Vincent Price stuff, but also a lot of stuff that either we've touched upon in the pod um, or probably will at some point. I mean, he's done Some Pretty Massacre. He did Some Pretty Massacre 2 and 3, Chopping Mall House, Joe Dante's Piranha, um, things of that nature, humanoids from the deep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, something that Roger Corman, uh, insists upon in his movies is nudity and titties, which we will certainly come back around to (laughs) momentarily. And titties? Nudity and titties, girl. Ass and titties. (laughs) Anything that falls under that umbrella. Um, you know, not all nudity is titties and. But all titties titties is nudity. nudity. Yeah. It's like a square rectangle. I would say the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyways, so. As Alex had brought up earlier, this is written by a woman and directed by a woman. So written by Rita Mae Brown, who was a noted feminist of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. She wrote the screenplay of this movie, and it was intended to be a parody of teen slasher movies, originally titled Don't Open the Door. Um, So when she submitted this to producers, and obviously then it ended up getting filmed and retitled as Slumber Party Massacre, it was not filmed as a parody. Which was what originally it was intended to fully be. Um, So as a result of that, the movie is kind of in this in-between place of like having a lot of humor that is both unintended and intended, um, which is very interesting. And I do believe like works for it. Uh, I mean, I love this movie, which we will get to. Um, Coming back to Roger Corman, though, he actually insisted that they call the movie Sleepless Night specifically only for when they were trying to convince homeowners to let them um, use their properties in the movie because he thought that having the name Sleepless Night over Slumber Party Massacre um, would help make them think that it was more of like a classy thriller Mm -hmm. than, you know, a Slumber Party Massacre. Um, I mean, it's not a terrible alternative name. No. I don't think any of those names, Sleepless Night, Don't Open the Door. I mean, I think Slumber Party Massacre is so iconic. Yeah, it has the punch that the other two don't. But, I mean, Sleepless Night's not terrible. It does make me no. think of, like, a Christmas movie, though. Like, a Christmas horror. Yes. Yes. Um, So, moving on to the other woman involved in the film, which is Amy Holden Jones. She is the director. Um, First film she directed. Um, At least feature. I think she had her hand in some documentary stuff. But mainly mm-hmm. she was an editor. She worked as an editor. She actually turned down editing E.T. for Steven Spielberg to make this movie, which is funny. I think that she made the right call, man. No, literally, Personally. girl. Like, um, you know, some might think that's a bad idea. Some might not. I feel like we fall in the some might not category. Um, and something important about her is she has no fucking time for people that try to give her shit about this movie, specifically because, as I previously stated, Roger Corman is very known for, like, kind of the exploitation type shit and all that stuff. And so I think people gave her a lot of shit because she was a woman. And obviously, it's mm-hmm. a, 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 to a certain degree, of a hugely, almost entirely female cast, aside from, like, the dumb boys that get, like, axed one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of this, like, oh, this betrayal to women that you did this movie. Um, and she's just, like, I don't hear the you motherfuckers saying this shit to the men, like famous directors or whatever that like got their foot in the door by like doing an exploitation film for Roger Corman. And like, unfortunately, like it's not my fault that Roger Corman was that way. And it's not my fault. The industry was this way, but like I wanted to direct movies. This is how you got your foot in the door. So I did what I fucking had to do. So like, I don't mm-hmm. want to fucking hear it. And honestly, good for her. Good for fucking her. Yeah. And she has stated, I mean, the big nudity scene, which we'll come back around to is the shower scene. 
which she said like he Roger Corman was like you need to add this like this was fully for Roger Corman like not necessarily mm-hmm. the story at all and like she was like so I literally shot it where it was like I'm getting the shots I know he wants he wants some ass he wants these titties shown to the camera like I'm doing it very like systematically and like she has said in interviews since that like she's not proud of the scene she's not like loved doing the shower scene it was very much like I did what I had to do for Roger Corman to produce this motherfucking movie and give me the money to I mean do it. I think that she also added so much like nuance into that scene though, which I think yes, in most directors' yes. hands, it could have just been a scene of like, here's some titties and some ass. Because like even there is even a shot of Trish like that just straight up pans down to her butt and just like watches yes. her butt and then pans back up. And that could have just been all it was. But there's like a very extended moment of Trish just like watching Valerie and them just like oh, girl. holding eye contact. And there's so much unsaid between them that I'm like <sighs> – I think I do like this scene though. Like you did some good shit here. Yeah, we will talk about that for sure, Zee Shore. Um, so as I said, she previously had worked um, as an editor mainly. She worked as mm-hmm. a film editor for uh, people like Joe Dante and Martin Scorsese, um, but she wanted to direct. So she asked uh, Francis Dole, um, who was a writer and a story editor who was associated with Roger Corman, um, like essentially like, what should I do to get that fucking ball rolling um and he gave her um a number of scripts um of which one was the slumber party massacre script then titled don't open the door and Mm -hmm. she decided she was going to film the first three scenes so kind of like a proof of concept type shit um she did it with her husband who was cinematographer michael chapman um they got Mm -hmm. equipment and hired actors and shit from university of california and they shot the scenes at their own house over the weekend for a thousand dollars which is fucking good for them. That's cool. Um, and then she showed that shit to Roger Corman, and he was like, okay, I will finance this film. Which is, I mean, in general, what an epic story. It, it's a yeah. classic story of just like, yeah, a lot of times it's just like, it doesn't matter how much film schooling you have or whatever. A lot of times it's just like, which I am, have had to learn, and I'm slowly very much still learning, of like, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. I mean, that's what I did with my short film, which is mm-hmm. still to come out. Um where it was just like, we're going to shoot this and it's going to be proof of concept and hopefully we'll show it to somebody and they'll be like, yes, give us more. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're manifesting that. Anyway, so that was very inspirational to read. I was like, okay, A.B. Holden Jones. Um, but she only, this is funny to me because of course it's like, oh, these two women and together their work made this like iconic feminist horror thing. But like there is a little bit where I feel like, were the girls beefing? Because, um, I know, it's not that much, but I was like, <laughs> what? Because when she was hired as the director, she had only read the prologue of Rita Mae Brown's script. And she also was not familiar, Amy Holden Jones, with mm-hmm. popular slashers like Friday the 13th or anything like that, which obviously mm. was like what was being yeah. parodied. She she claims that she worked to add um, scares and humor herself to the script because, mm-hmm. quote, I don't think her script was funny at all interesting which once again i did not read these scripts girl so i don't know like what the difference was between you know the original Mm -hmm. and what happened but it was just like i was like but yeah because especially if she doesn't know the genre at that point like are are the jokes not funny or are they just not connecting with you because you don't understand what they're referencing yeah yeah exactly um end of the day we got something that i enjoy and do think is funny but like it was just like i I mean I do think that the film comes across very much like it is very self-aware of the genre. So if she was like going into it, if she didn't really understand what they were parodying, she clearly learned and understood by the time that they were filming it because I never would have known that. 
Like, I think, like, I mean, this isn't really fully pertaining to me, but, like, I would think, like, let's say I had never seen, like, a Marvel movie. I mean, I'm not really a big mm-hmm. Marvel person. Um, but if I had never seen a Marvel movie and then I was, like, yeah, like, given a script that's, like, this is a parody of Marvel movies, mm-hmm. I'm sure there would be jokes in that where I, where two people that are Marvel fans would be, like, oh, my God, so funny, like, so – that hits. Where I'd be, like, yeah. okay, it's not funny. So I think that's very much probably the case. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. Anyways, on to some things that um, were different or changed. Um, the original ending of the movie had um, the killer being killed in the living room. But Roger Corman um, really liked the movie, so he gave Amy Holden Jones extra money so she could write and reshoot a bigger ending. Um, because which ended up being the killer spoiler um, getting castrated by like snapping off the drill. Um, mm-hmm. But apparently it also allowed Amy Holden Jones to emulate something she learned on Taxi Driver. Um, She was rewatching that Martin Scorsese film while she Mm -hmm. was rewriting this ending. And she said the constant yelling in pain in the film finale Mm. um, struck a chord with her. It was very unnerving, she states. Like all three women, I noticed that specifically like the final sequence is just like so loud especially comparatively to the rest of the film and I think that that's why it's such an effective ending because all three women are like so emotional and so like traumatized by it and they're all giving different kinds of performances but they're all like I believe every single one of them and it's it is very just like jarring because you end with just like screaming and crying like, and and it does. It, just, it simply just ends. It literally is just like, end yeah. credits. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Because um, that's a genuine, that's how I would be fucking, like, and I love when they, like, specifically Trish, whenever she runs at the driller killer with a knife to stab him, she's screaming. And when she sees him get stabbed, she screams, even when she's not the one stabbing him, just because, like, seeing a person get stabbed would yeah. make me scream. But I feel like it's so often in horror films, if, like, someone is witnessing the killer get struck, they're just watching it but like mm-hmm. no i would be like freaking the fuck out the entire time in the background just like losing my mind so oh absolutely like incredible. we're not you know we're not desensitized to real life mm-hmm. violence in that way like I, I don't think either of us ever witnessed a fucking real life stabbing so like i think it would be bizarre if you saw that and like didn't really have a reaction or was just like <gasps> holding your breath like i think your reaction is to be like you know like jolt and like as mm-hmm. if it was happening to you like you no, don't i don't think that a lot that. of horror slashers do that and I'm if they surprised. do, it's always, like, a very weak, like, oh, my God. You know? You got to yeah, really like – <gasps> Yeah. It's, it's just, like, no. This felt so, crazy. like, grounded in reality for me because of how, like, just unapologetically, like, terrified they all were. I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, originally, though, apparently the movie was supposed to be 90 minutes long. Um, obviously, it does not okay. come to that length now. There um, – which already stated, like, they had punched up – the ending, um, which the quote from Amy Holden Jones is, there was a different ending. We, we, excuse me. We reshot to punch it up. It must have been lame because I can't remember it. I think it was the same, but without the pool. We ruined that pool with the reshoot, but it was fun. Um, and another scene that apparently was omitted from the film um, for pacing reasons um, was a scene with the girls playing with a Ouija board in which it spelled out oh. the word death. Um which is fun. It's one of things where it's like I think bringing the Ouija board into it like adds this supernatural element that mm-hmm. like I think is we it's not really the tone of the film yeah, until you get to two, it. girl. Yeah, and then yeah. it's like fucking go off. Um. Anyways, 
But after the film was done, the studio held a test screening uh, in uh, in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. um, Amy Holden Jones was startled by the audience reaction because she quote recalls they went ape from the very beginning. They were screaming <laughs> and laughing, and there were people behind me making drill noises and talking back to the screen. So she left the theater and approached Roger Corman, who was in the lobby and had been listening. And she said, quote, my God, Roger, what did we do? And he replied, quote, we had the best preview in New World history. Um, And then Amy Hilton Jones went on to make three more films or direct three more films. Sadly, none of them were horror, which I think is a missed opportunity. Although she like obviously like didn't. We've talked this before on this podcast. Obviously, she didn't have a background in horror, which like maybe we've mm-hmm. got, we've got, we would have gotten like an even different version of this movie if she was like in with the genre. But I think that there's something to be said for these people, especially now a lot. We see it where people that like maybe are not at the top of our head, people we think of when we think of horror, they're new to the genre. They can often bring like a freshness and something mm-hmm. that like we wouldn't have thought of because we're almost too embedded in it. So mm-hmm. I would have been interested to see if she made another horror movie after this, even if it was like another sequel to this what it would have looked like but we'll never know girl um yeah i mean being a female horror director in the 80s i'm sure was incredibly difficult um and just being a female director in general oh yeah and i think she's she's made comments about the fact that like now obviously when you make like horror movies which is something we love like you know like there's much more like appreciation for the art of it Mm -hmm. and all this shit where like back then on top of the fact of like being a woman like you make a horror movie and it's just like people are gonna disregard you they're not going to mm-hmm. take you seriously, which is sad, um, but alas was the way at the times. Um, but a few other uh, tiny little people to mention is the composer of this movie um, is actually uh, Amy's brother, Ralph Jones, and he recorded the entire mm-hmm. score on a small Casio synthesizer. It's kind of a silly score. It's kind of just like boop, 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 Yes. Uh, and you know we love a silly score here. Throwing it all the way back to fucking Tourist Trap. Um, oh my god my and the handy woman um who is fixing the coach's door or like putting mm-hmm. a drill in it um at the beginning is actually one of the set designers on the film oh that's nice they let the set designer put in the people yeah. very fitting um okay so now we get to some specific things about some of the actresses in the film and some of the the nudity issues um sure. which okay. is a big thing um some of them had an issue some of them didn't so we'll start with um Deborah Deliso, I believe is how you say her last name. She mm-hmm. plays Kim, who, if you don't recall, blonde. She has the space baby t-shirt, and then she changes into, like, a long, like, basketball jersey. At the I love that little jersey outfit. It's so good. Yes. Um, she left – she later left acting, and she became a teacher. Um, this is not – a nice thing I think that happens to her but she says every semester she has male students who would come Mm. up to her and tell her that they saw her nude scene in the movie and then look directly at her chest while smiling which is just like let's pause there for a second no literally it's like what if why has that happened more than once because this is the thing men this is why I will never feel bad about talking (laughs) shit on men on this podcast ever is because they have time and time again proven themselves to be disgusting deplorable animals I mean girl at the end of the day like Sure. Let's say they saw the movie. Let's say they were hot for a teacher and they were like, I saw teacher's titties. That's one thing. To have the fucking gall to go up to her and tell her you saw her titties already crossing a line. And then to look at her chest. Girl, if I had a male teacher that was in a movie who I thought was fine as fuck and I like saw his like dick or I saw his an ass in a movie, I would maybe be giggly and like with my girls be like, bitch, I would never tell him. Ever. 
ever. Even if, like, we had a fucking, like, whirlwind fucking romance and we had come (laughs) together. Bitch, I fucking still would not tell. Are you kidding me? And it's because I have tact. Even though it doesn't seem like it on this podcast, I fucking do. Okay? Um... But yeah, but then sadly she finishes that out saying she didn't let that bother her, but she was bothered by the fact that um, other male teachers did the same thing Oh my her. god. Okay, like, it's so tough because, like, the student thing is so inappropriate and, like, gross, Correct. but also you can chalk that up to, like, being a fucking idiot 16-year-old boy and, like, your brain is not fucking developed. Mm. The fact that a co-worker would feel like that's appropriate, that is – borderline if not full-on sexual harassment um and inappropriate no, it's sexual and, harassment you can't fucking do that um yeah disgusting i hate men i mean i'm glad that she has a career that she's you know thriving in and hopefully people fucking respect her um and i think her performance is amazing so if i ever met her i would not talk about her titties i would talk about her really fun performance no. in the fridge even as another woman, I wouldn't be like, hey, girl, saw those tits. They looked great. Like, it's just like, <laughs> like, uh, be fucking serious. Anyways, but to kind of counteract that um, in men being the worst is that female friendship is so important because same woman, Deborah, mm-hmm. she had a friend named Leslie who was visiting, visiting her on set the day of the shower scene. And mm-hmm. Leslie saw how anxious Deborah was about getting naked. So she offered to be an extra in the scene, naked oh. as well, to support her. So the uh, the, act, the director agreed. Um, and then Leslie got naked uh, and joined all the bitches showering. Um, and apparently her friend loved it. She thought it was so exciting being naked in front of all the guys on the crew, which I, I love that for her. <laughs> um, uh, but to yeah, I, mean, I always would prefer that be their experience if they have to yeah, do it either way. Obviously. I hope that you're... I hope it's something that you're having a good time with instead of something that is upsetting to you. And then so Deborah nice. um, hated it, though. Let's be clear. But it yeah. was nice that she had a friend that, like, and you know what, girl? At the end of the day, if you were on a movie set and you were getting naked, I would, within a heartbeat, offer to get naked with wow, you. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. And you know what? There's a part of me that's like, and maybe I would love it, you know? <laughs> maybe I, I would, would love, love it. it. <laughs> yeah! Think you would. Girl, I know you would love it. Um... Anyways, if I was having a good body day, I'd be like, guys, I don't need to be naked for this scene, but I'm going to be. Um, anyways, one other person on the set that also, like, wasn't particularly a fan of being naked was um, Gina Smika Hunter. Um, she played mm-hmm. Diane, who is the nasty one in the friend group, kind of, mm-hmm. um, who, like, keeps trying to get her goddamn boyfriend to come over. But in the scene where she's in the car with her boyfriend in the garage and they're making out, she did not want to show her boobies at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but once again, like, I think because of the Roger Corman of it all or whatever, they were like, bitch, we need to see that titty. So kind of in a state of like, we need to get this done. um, Amy Holden Jones was essentially like to all the other women on the set was like, if one of you is willing to step up and let us do a fucking like close up shot on your tit for this scene, like we will give you extra money. So Michelle Michaels, who is um, our lead, Trish, she stepped up uh, and- That was Trish's tit? It was Trish's tit, for all of you wondering. And yes, lovely tit. And, um, but sadly, I mean, I guess you can explain it, but like this whole thing for Regina to be like, I didn't want to do it because like I didn't want whatever. Because obviously 
I mean, up until I read this, like, I just assumed it was her tit, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, All her friends and family also still thought it was her. So, So yeah. So, it kind of put her in this position to be like, (laughs) it wasn't me. It was my tit. I promise. I feel like that's, like, the movie wanted to do, though. Like, I don't want to have to show my body off. I'm not comfortable with it. So, you could have this other woman who has a beautiful body, and then I'll take credit and say, that's my body. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, don't I have such a nice tit? Thank oh you. my god. No, see, like, that I feel like would make me more self-conscious because, like, it would be, like, the no. It would be, like, when, like, if, like, you altered, like, a picture. If you were, like, a model and you knew they, like, did, like, all this altering to mm-hmm. it. And, like, everyone's, like, you look amazing. Like, I, I get the like, side of being, so like, much. yeah, literally. But I would be, like, I fucking know that my body does not look like that. I'm a fucking disgusting troll. I would, like, destroy me, I feel like, mentally. So it would get to the point where I'd be, like, fuck it. No, put my tit in. But obviously we know I'd put my tit in the first place anyway. Would first never time. let a, a tit double stand in for me. Please. <laughs> God didn't give me these gifts for no reason. Um, but onto somebody who didn't really have an issue with um, the nudity, which is one Miss Brink Stevens, um, who we brought up before because she is obviously an iconic scream queen who we have mentioned mm-hmm. before, Taffy. Um, she said in an interview that she didn't have any problem being in that shower scene naked. I mean, she dies pretty early on, once again, spoilers. So she's not really at the summer party. So that's really her only nude moment. She didn't have a problem with it, but she said other girls in the scene that did, I thought this was funny and kind of like, like a smart trick, um, was they put tape over their nipples in the shower scene. So the director couldn't use shots of their breasts because obviously you just don't see tape on their nipples, which is why like a lot of the girls that are not the leads or whatever, you only see like their bare backs that's smart um which i was like yeah once again i mean we've talked about many times i'm totally team like do whatever the fuck you want if you want to show titty and you feel comfortable i love that mm-hmm. if you're like fuck no that's your right and i will fully support you doing everything you need to do to make sure that that's respected so like i love the girly that loved getting naked for the boys on the crew and i love the girlies that said there's tape on my nipples try again yeah thousand percent um and then in a 2018 interview um bring stevens had a quote about i think doing nudity in general in the industry, which I feel like would be a good thing to bring up because we've brought it up many times. Um, She said, early in my career, nudity was simply the rule. What was expected of us? We just went along with it because we wanted to work. I've never been shy about nudity because she was a nude model before she was an actor. Um, Good thing too. My willingness to undress landed me a lot of good roles and helped me get better noticed by fans. However, I was never comfortable doing explicit love scenes with a guy, so I tended to turn down those kind of parts. In almost every case, the directors have been very good about asking non-essential personnel to leave the set, and we were treated respectfully. But then, there you are, totally naked, up on the big screen, being watched by hundreds of people. I'm quite relieved that I've reached such an age where I'm no longer asked to do this, and it's left up to the younger starlets. Damn. Which I thought was very interesting that she, yeah, that she's comfortable doing all these nude scenes. And as she said, which we've said a million times, whether you liked it or not, like it kind of was like, you do it or you don't work. Um, mm-hmm. But that like, she didn't have a problem with that, but like she had a problem with the intimacy scenes, which I think is incredibly valid. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think yeah. it's one thing to just be naked and like, if you're, if you are a confident in your body, then- you can just like, whatever, I'm just acting and just doing whatever I'm doing and I'm naked. But if you have to be like intimate with another person, that is like a physical like connection with another person who is presumably also naked. And that just feels a lot more like vulnerable and intimidating in a lot of ways. I mean, 
I yeah, I, I think even if I could do nudity in a film, like I feel like doing any kind of like sex scene would be very difficult, uh, especially with just oh, like an entire crew of people watching you. Yeah, no. I mean, a thousand percent. I mean, two things I'll say is, I mean, I'm glad now that there 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 tend to be intimacy coordinators yes. on sets now. Like that's become like the regular. And I think, I mean, it should have always been that way. Um, because yeah, it's even if it's just simulated sex, obviously, like it's still very intimate. And I think it goes to the greater uh, conversation about like you know even just simple things when it's like you know a woman leaves the house and she's dressed, you know showing a lot of skin showing whatever like dress slutty and i do not mean that in a derogatory sense like good for her where then of course you have disgusting men which has always been the thing where it's like the whole like you're asking for it or like why are you dressing like that if blah blah, blah. and it's like the there's such a difference between being like i have full power over my body so i have the power to show you as much skin as i want to walk out fucking butt ass naked like all this shit where it's just like because yeah you're doing that as a solo thing and even if you like being admired and shit, like there's nothing wrong with that. But then the line crosses when it's like, that is an invitation to, yeah, like be physical and touch you. Like it is such a different thing that like, yeah, there is such a line between being like, I'm totally comfortable with you guys seeing my body. I'm not comfortable with you touching my body. Mm-hmm. Like, and even though that feels like, yeah, so understandable for us, unfortunately, like for many people, pretty much exclusively men a lot of the time, like that those circuits do not, go together at all like it's not something they have to think about on a daily basis yeah. yeah um but to leave it on a positive note with miss brink stevens because she died early on in the film she spent 45 minutes in a parking lot with a sound guy screaming into a microphone for her off-screen <laughs> death um and she said that ended up helping her perfect the art of screaming which she used throughout the rest of her career which i think nice. is epic and awesome and that is where i will leave us for the um fun behind the scenes facts of it all very nice i didn't know a lot of those all right so i think it is time to get into the meat of this movie and something you brought up which is definitely something mm-hmm. i was going to bring up and i think it's a great jumping off point is the fact that and obviously we've already stated because it's directed by one because it's written by one blah, 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 blah. these girls in this movie feel real they feel mm-hmm. grounded. I, I I mean, I already felt this way, but especially on this rewatch, I really clung on to that. And it made me think of things we might have brought up upon this before, but like in recent years when like you have these remakes of movies that either they're very female led or whatever, like the one that always comes to mind is the Black Christmas remake, where they try to do this feminist leaning of like, yeah, this is what real women to act like and talk like, like they wouldn't just like lie down and take it, mm-hmm. which like the intent behind that, I love it. Um, the execution horrendous where like this is like there's just something to be said at the end of the day for however low budget or silly you think it is like these girls at the very least talk like they're real friends like Mm -hmm. i believe that just the conversation once again another in theory unnecessary nudity scene when they're getting changed and the boys at the window are watching them but they're having this conversation where it feels like real friends talking about like oh my god did you hear that so-and-so like got caught in her parents bedroom they're like wait who wait why is that a problem there's like this this three-way conversation just so naturally flows which like doesn't have any greater bearing on the movie like it's not like whatever they're talking about comes up later Mm -hmm. but i was just like watching it being like i love this I love this. It feels like these are my friends and I'm sitting here with them at the slumber party. And I think that has a huge bearing on the film. Yeah, I think that in so many slasher films, especially of this time, it was very easy for them to like pick your final girl, maybe give her some like 
a few different qualities, but then everybody else is very much a one-dimensional character who just has their one thing. I mean, hence our like entire rating system is based on these like caricatures of characters. Um, But in this, they are all like so multifaceted where like they all have moments of being gossipy and being ditzy and being fucking mean and being kind to each other and loving sports and having like interests that are not you know, what they would, you would say like, oh, that's what a teen girl loves in the eighties. Like, oh, they're probably having like a pillow fight and talking about like boys and shopping. And it's like, no, they're smoking weed and they are talking about baseball and they, they're playing basketball and, you know, yeah, they're maybe like hooking up with some boys or at least Diane is, but like, that's just a part of their very layered personality. And I, and especially with, with the other characters, like, especially with Courtney, with her like whole fucking reading playgirl and just like being yes. a horny little bitch, not giving a shit. I mean, yeah, it's it's a very unusual representation of women, I feel like, in the, this genre at that time. And that's why I care about all of the characters and that's why it's you, – you root for them. Because like the guys are on the other end kind of one-dimensional. They just care about like – boobies and they're like I just like want to get laid and they're the one-dimensional characters who get killed off and I don't give a shit about because it's not about them and in so many other slashers you know it's the other way around correct no a a thousand percent I mean the dimensions of these characters like at the end of the day it's a 77 minute slasher like we're not getting deep into like unpacking trauma with these characters like that's Mm -hmm. not what we're talking about and that's not what i fucking need or want but like it's just giving them some amount of depth other than like big titted blonde that dies first one big titted blonde that dies second like it's like Mm -hmm. the girls that end up the sleepover like yeah and oh my god it's so good like even just simple things of like and i think i said this another time when i was talking about this movie where it's like they they allow these women to, for lack of a word of putting it, have these qualities that are usually attributed to only masculine characters, mm-hmm. but without sacrificing the feminine qualities. And that's what's so good about it. Like, it doesn't, like, lean, like, oh, like, so goofy. Like, these girls play basketball, so they're, like, so rough and, like, super tomboy. Mm-hmm. Which one's that? If that's who you are, no fucking issue with that. But, like, I feel like a lot of times, like, that's how it skews. It's, like the binary like you can only be one or the other and types like shit where it's like no these girls are beautiful these girls play basketball they're at a sleepover calling their fucking lesbian basketball coach asking her about baseball scores like genuinely like not prank calling her they're like but do you remember who who had this run this inning type shit Mm -hmm. and it's so genuine and it's so silly and just simple and then yeah like but they're still doing girly things like they're still in their little nightgown moments they're they don't play they're reading their horoscopes at one point Mm -hmm. like and and they do not the thing i like the most is that they don't I think this plays into what I was already saying. Like there's no like shame. There's no sexual shaming, which there's a whole other conversation. I think we should have in a moment about the sexuality of some of these girls. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's no sexual shaming. Like the only irritant that comes up with these girls is like from Trish kind of saying, and she says something, I think after um, Diane, like if leaves in theory where she's like, Oh, it's like never going to be like it used to be what she wanted mm-hmm. this night out of town was like a girl's night where it was just girls. Like maybe back when they were younger, before they had boyfriends, before they were having sex and had boys on the brain where it mm-hmm. is just like, yeah. So like, that's why she doesn't fucking want, you know, 
She didn't invite any of these guys. She didn't want Diane's boyfriend there. So Diane had to go leave to have sex with him or whatever. Where like, that's what she's annoyed about. She's not like ever slut shaming. There's no slut shaming. Mm -hmm. And even, um, Valerie next door, when she's talking about Trish at one point to her sister, like she makes a comment where she's like, oh, well, like all the, like Valerie gets all these guys or whatever. And it doesn't play though in a way where she's like, oh yeah, like Valerie the slut, like whatever. She steals all the guys. It's almost this like longing. What'd you say? You said Valerie was talking about Valerie. Just right when oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It doesn't matter. You guys know what I'm saying. Valerie's talking about Trish, but she's she doesn't present it in a way where she's like, um, you know, yeah, like slut shaming her or like being like, you know, oh, like I hate her because she gets all these guys. Like, there's almost like a longing to it. Either like, I don't, I don't even know if necessarily it's like I want to be like that as well, or if it's just like which I think is another segue we can come to in a minute after I would love to hear any response you have of her, like just longing for Trish specifically. But yeah, I love that. Like nothing is sacrificed for the other. Like we get both and it plays perfectly. Like none of it ever, ever feels like, Oh, like that's weird. All of a sudden they're like reading horoscopes or like that's weird. All of a sudden they're talking about sports. It's like, because I think it comes back to the fact that they feel like real friends. They talk like Mm -hmm. real girls that I'm like, yeah, Okay, they have multiple interests. They're multidimensional women. Like, of course they are. Yeah, they. there really is no slut-shaming. And I feel like so much of, especially this specific era, like post Friday the 13th, so much of it is like, you have sex, you die. Like, it's that whole thing. Where, yeah. like, they do have, like, that moment, I guess, with Diane and John Minor, uh, where, like, they're going to have sex and they die, whatever. But – it's never coming from any of the female characters. Like you said, when Diane is like nervous to tell Trish that she's going to like go with him, Trish is like, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Like she doesn't give her a hard time at all. She's like, I get it. Don't worry about it. And like also Valerie with her sister, like when she, Valerie knows that her sister is reading her Playboy and she doesn't try to like make her feel bad about it or like awkward. She's just like, all right, don't rip up the centerfold this time. And Courtney's like, oh my God. And it's just like, yeah, it's very sweet. It's very supportive group of women I think um and before we move on to the um maybe homoerotic undertones Mm. um I do also just want to mention while we're talking about the duality of women here is that so many of the background characters that would normally be played by men traditionally are also Mm -hmm. played by women because you have the phone repair woman you have the landlady who you said was a set designer who was putting in the people and you even have the gym teacher slash coach and I feel like in any traditional slasher film all three of those characters would be played by men because those are like, you know, hands-on kinds of jobs that are like blue collar and like men work those jobs. So the fact that they just like had those be played by women and there was like no reference to it. There was no, no one's like, oh, a female repair woman. Like it's just, exactly. that's, it's just her. That's just who she is. That's her job. That is part of her life. And I think that like very subtle element to it adds another level of feminism, feminism without it like punching you over the head with it and that's the thing with yeah before we get to the homoeroticism but we're actually worried about the black christmas of it all it's just like movies like that that once again i do think are coming from a place of good intention even when they have like female Mm -hmm. directors or female writers are both attached to them the issue is and i think it's an issue in general even without even not even specific to the feminist topic so many movies now don't get subtlety or don't get that like Mm -hmm. the whole point with these people like wanting this kind of representation in films is like it should be the norm it should be the norm Mm -hmm. so just 
put this person in your film, whether it be a person of color, a queer person, a, a woman, like a, a mixture, like any of these things, just put them in there and make the movie like you normally would make the movie. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, sure, if the mm-hmm. story is specific, like, like, this is a specific story about, like, you know, the journey of a, a queer woman of color. Like, obviously, you're going to have to make mention of the fact that she's a queer woman of color. But, like, a lot of times it's these movies where it's, like, that might be an underlying theme of, like, as we said, Black Christmas, whatever the fuck, 2019, whatever the fuck it was now. Like, where it was, like, I'm going to beat you over the head with the fact that, like, we're women and we're strong and blah, blah. Where I'm just, like, this is the type of shit that makes me it makes you feel like i hate women and i don't but i'm just like <laughs> what the fuck are we doing where it's like something as simple as this it's just like mm-hmm. all i want you can still kill all the women i don't give a fuck like just make them it's a slasher movie like what just make them real women that's it yeah it's just really the bare minimum women. we're asking for <laughs> i i know and then they're like well it's like the we're unfortunately and it's a lot of these things which i've heard people say where it's like it's unfortunately because we were on one end of that spectrum for so long like not getting that representation or getting really really bad representation that when the time came around where finally it feels like for a lot of these things it's like we're pushing forward we're gonna get it you overshoot it's like overcorrecting. you're mm-hmm. like well i'm gonna do the most extreme version of that where it's like every other line is gonna be mentioning that or like whatever where it's just like okay where you i'm hoping over time it will then like shift back and we'll get to the medium where it is just like, yes, this is just normal now. And it doesn't have to be this big, like, flashing neon sign. Like, look at us. Give us a gold star for this type nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, but to shift to the homoeroticism, which you brought up. Oh, my God, girl. I forgot about this moment until I rewatched. And I literally was like, oh, what? I'm obsessed with this. Is when they're in the shower because they have, like, they, 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 we meet the girls and they're doing basketball practice, which I also love another great moment of like these girls doing this sport and like the boys and their like dorky ass polos on the sidelines watching, yeah. which I feel like it's usually like, oh, like the boys at football practice and the girls with like their books and their cute little sweaters, like watching from the side. And it's like, no, these girls are doing like full contact, like basketball type shit. And these guys are like, oh, they're too hot, whatever, like idiots. <laughs> um, But then they go to the showers afterwards. We get the gratuitous ass and titties. And there was a shot where um, Valerie is like a few, like is like a, I don't know, they're like in these like rows. Yeah, Yeah, she's like a a stall or a row away. But she's, the way she's facing is she's facing toward Trish and Trish is facing toward her. And it's this prolonged moment, you're right, of like looking at her and not in a way where it's like you're, there's a minute where I feel like it feels like Oh no. Is it like predatory in a way where it's like she's gonna mean girl her and be like, oh, yes. I can't wait to go over and like body shame this bit because we're so that's what we're supposed to think of like teen girls in movies is like they have to hate each other, they have to be fighting. Well, and she's the new like, girl. Exactly. And she goes over and so genuinely is like, Hey Valerie, like you had you played such a good game today. You are so talented. And I was like, Okay, crush. <laughs> I was like, okay, obsessed. I was like, the way that, like, you couldn't wait until y'all were in your towels, you were like, no, girl, Sophie and Nate, I mean, I guess she was in a towel, but, like, Valerie was not in a towel yet. She was like, I have to tell you why you're all soapy and naked, like, how much I admire how good you are at this part. I was just like, I need these two together so fucking bad, I'm gonna rip my arms off. I was obsessed with them, girl. Well, I think what makes it even more homoerotic is that, like, the way that Trish is looking at Valerie is so intense. 
the yes. whole time she's looking at her. But like, so I had the same thought of like, oh God, is she going to be, like, is she mad at her because she beat her in the game and she's going to like go over and say some snide karma comment to her. But the longer that she looks, the more you're like, wait a minute, is that something else in her eyes? But what makes it extra gay is that Valerie never looks away. Valerie is never like, oh, uncomfortable by the eye contact. Like she's staring right back at her and they have yep. such a prolonged gaze. And even when Trish gets out of the shower and is like wrapping herself up and walking over, she's still like dead eye contact the entire way. Like I'm coming, I'm coming to you. It's just very intimate uh, in a room full of naked women. Mm-hmm. And then, well then to keep it going, then we immediately have the girls getting dressed in the locker room. And once again, com- and I already liked Trish from the beginning because Trish wakes up, she has this beautiful, like perfect, like teen girl bedroom, which is so fucking cute. I love a teen girl bedroom. She's like, throwing she's like getting rid of like old like kid stuff mm-hmm. but she's this moment with a stuffed animal where she's like i don't want to give it up so she like takes it out of the bag puts it back i'm like trish she's in a beautiful purple dress i was like mm-hmm. i had a fucking huge ass crush on this bitch the whole movie i was like oh, i need yeah, her beautiful. oh my god she's gorgeous and they're in the locker room or whatever and just like with such kindness and genuine like like yeah like in her heart she's like guys i want to invite valerie tonight to the the sleepover which of course we get the pushback from diane who's just like obviously like she's new i don't like her blah blah blah. like you you have to have one diane is the i would say that moment is like the closest that we get to like quote unquote slut shaming because diane is just like exhibiting how jealous she is of her because yes she is so hot and so like i feel like that is the only like woman against woman anything in this film is like that one brief moment and then it's counteracted by trish just like defending the fuck out of valerie being like diane you suck well and that's and that's another moment too is when she says that like when they're asking her like oh why don't you like her and it's trish it's like (laughs) oh it's because like she's so beautiful and i was like (laughs) and of course valerie's on the side hears all that goes to leave and trish runs up and it literally makes my heart ache i don't know why it affected me so deeply i was like fuck she was like hey like I'm going to have a sleepover tonight. Like, will you come or whatever? And of course, like, Valerie's really embarrassed and flustered. So she's like, like, no, like, I can't. And like, Trish is like, so devastated. She's like, no, no, please come. And like, Valerie like, rushes out. And then she's like, Ugh. well, she heard you. Like, thanks a lot. And it's just like this genuine, like, want to have her at this party so bad. Which, to be fair, I know female friendships can be so intense. And you can want someone to be your friend so bad. But I'm like, rooting for these two to be like, in love, like I want it so desperately, especially because like, they end up being, along with Valerie's sister, the two that survive. Mm -hmm. So and they they help each other in the end, like fighting off the driller killer. But something that's interesting that I was thinking about kind of in the same tone of all this is that I believe uh, direct the director said that she feels that the overall message of the film, even if she didn't in, realize it at the time, is it's supposed to be this big metaphor for how virgins are afraid of sex, mm-hmm. which is why there's the phallic symbol. And like, you know, it's this whole thing of like, when a woman sees a penis for the first time, she's like, oh my God, what is that thing going to do to me? Whatever. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, that messaging to a certain degree. I, there's obviously a, a whole like symbolism with the drill Mm -hmm. and shit like that but i think in a in a similar way like there is this like lesbian message to it all beyond obviously these moments of like the girls being like whatever where i'm just like in theory you could make the same argument for like these women are fearful of this like phallic symbol because they're like yeah and they're they're creating this this sanctuary of like just girls at the sleepover Mm -hmm. like this is where it's safe this is where i'm like the most comfortable like yeah like 
and once again, this is normal, but like, I, I mean, growing up, I think there's a lot, and I think a lot of women would feel this way. We're like, what, girls are made to feel so self-conscious about our bodies. I mean, everyone's self-conscious when you're going through puberty or whatever, but like women and all the media and all this shit, we already fucking know. Like you feel so self-conscious about your body. I mean, and it lasts with you for a long time, sometimes forever, where it's like, Growing up in high school, not a fucking chance. If I was at a sleepover with multiple girls, was I going to get naked in front of them? And not because I was like afraid that anyone's going to come on to me or anything. It was purely because I was like, oh my God, like even if they don't say anything, like internally they're going to judge my body and mm-hmm. I don't look as good as them or whatever. Where like, I think that's very real and normal for a lot of girls. Unfortunately, I wish it wasn't that way. Mm-hmm. Now I would do it. Now I'd be like, fuck it. We're getting titties out. Let's get changed. Um, but that took a lot of growth. But I think that like having this sense of like, yeah, like, and obviously in the movie, it's played for like, let's get more tits on the screen. But that aside, to just look at it from a story perspective, whether it was intended or not. It's this feeling of like this sanctuary, like I feel so safe. Like, yeah, I'm just going to mm-hmm. casually get naked with my friends and get changed. And like, that's when they're safe. The only danger comes in or the only hiccups in the night come in when boys are involved. I mean, Diane has a boyfriend, but like, in theory, like, him luring her out to the garage to be like, come on, let's leave and have sex, leads to her fucking demise with the driller killer. I mean, mm-hmm. the two other boys, like, kind of fucking ruin the night, um, which is their own fucking thing. But, like, yeah, it's just so interesting to me. And I think the fact that, like, there's a mention also that, like, Trish possibly has, like, multiple boyfriends. There's like, there's something that said where, like, she gets all these guys. We see her get dropped off after school by, like, a mustache dude on a motorcycle, which who never comes back. <laughs> which I was like, oh, who's this? And then, like, he's gone forever. Um, but the fact that, like, that's – oh, we have this idea that, like, Trish is so beautiful, obviously, and, like, so desired. But at the end of the day, like, all she wants – is Valerie to come to the sleepover and for it just to be her <laughs> girls. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like there's just this overwhelming sense of like, uh, sure, lesbianism, but like, if we don't want to go as far and be like, lesbians, um, which I would willingly do. It is just like, I don't know, this, this, there's a definitely a queerness, I feel like, to mm-hmm. the story and the fact that like the feared symbol is phallic. I don't know what your thoughts are overall for that. Uh, head empty, but you know, I agree with everything that you said. <laughs> I was like, how? Yeah, she's saying it all. I got, I got nothing to add to that. I mean, I agree a thousand percent. I, I mean, yeah, it's very blatantly obvious that it's like meant to be a phallic symbol, and like everything you said about, yeah, it is a safe space. That's so, so true. And like, even fucking the neighbor next door, like, he doesn't mm. fucking help anything. Like, he is also just like a fucking intruder in her in her home at one point, yeah. and like. So fucking scary. I hate I, – I don't like him because he killed snails with a fucking machete. He's uh, a so snail hunt. Yeah. I don't so like random. him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I wish – I mean, I would say it could be even gayer and I would be even happier because – Oh, please. Yeah. I would be I begging. The men absolutely do nothing to help. Well, I was going to say when I rewatched this, like I remembered the movie but I couldn't remember specifics. So like once I was like, oh, wait, there's like big lesbian tones to this. I was like hoping – I was like I couldn't remember exactly when Valerie ends up at the house and I was like hoping there's going to be more moments of like them <laughs> being like tender and nice and then like obviously you don't really get that when she gets to the house. It's right. kind of like Carnage City. But yeah, I would definitely be like please give me more of these queer girlies. Yeah. I mean I think also pretty much with maybe the exception of Mr – whatever the, his, the fucking neighbor's name was because he doesn't actually yeah. come on to any of them or do anything inappropriate. But like all of the motivations for every single other male character is just based on sex and the fact that these women are beautiful and they want to have sex with them, even the driller killer. I mean, his whole like the one time he does speak, he gives his motivation and it is literally just you're beautiful. I love you. I now I have to kill you. 
because mm-hmm. he only sees them in that one dimensional way that is like common of just men at that time the male gaze horror films all of it so yeah yeah men the men in this movie fucking suck and, and i think are, <laughs> beautiful goddesses and i think the neighbor is a great point because i yeah too like it's like we watch it and you're like i mean the first mention of him is like the the mom being like he's gonna check in on you and like trish being like fuck which like i know is intended to be like because she wants to get crazy at this slumber party she doesn't mm-hmm. want like an adult there but there's this immediate sense of like we don't like him What's his fucking yeah. deal? Like, there's something bad. And then when he shows up and scares her by accident, and then it's like, she's kind of like, you can go now. And he's like, no, no, I'll stay till your friends come. And you're like, get the fuck out. So there's this, even though, like, he ends up, I can think intentionally there's this, like, because that's what's interesting about it. It's like, at this he's point, we know what the driller killer looks like. But that's the thing. We know what he looks like. So we know it's not the neighbor, unless the it's neighbor true. is, like, putting on a fucking Mission Impossible, like, face-changing mask. But it's like, there's still this sense of, like, because he is a male character, he is inherently dangerous and we don't trust him. We don't like him, which is why even still knowing that he's not the driller killer, when you have that moment of like him being like, yeah, I won't tell on you guys. Oh, it's just me again. Sorry. I'm just like killing snails. I don't care. Well, like just even, like doing that. It's like, a, you're like, oh, okay. But he says to her, like when he's leaving, like, I won't tell your parents if you don't tell your parents that I almost scared you to death. And basically he's saying like, I won't tell on you if you don't tell on, tell your parents that, me, this adult man, broke into your house essentially and creeped up on you. Like, yeah. If you really read into that line, like, hmm, I don't love it. But I mean, yeah, he is very much just like a random red herring to that, like, he doesn't ever actually do anything inappropriate, like, explicitly, but there's yeah. definitely undercurrents there where you're like, I don't fucking trust you. But even still, it's just like, because I remember like even after he left the house, I was like, okay, right. And then when he comes back, when Diane is getting the firewood and it's like mm-hmm. the snails thing, there's this feeling of like, I just want Diane to get out of there. Yeah. Like, and once again, even though like he clearly like, I think intentionally supposed to be like, you know, this like dopey, like, I'm just like, kind of like a dopey dad neighbor, like tr- in theory, like, yeah, like not dangerous at all. There's still the sense of like, I don't want her alone with you. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was a female neighbor, if it was the basketball coach showing up earlier, I would have been like, oh, okay. No no thoughts. And that's the thing. It's yeah. like, it's not even like, oh, these 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 young girls with adults. It's like, no, it's specifically men of any age. Like, I don't want the boys there or whatever. Like, but they're like an adult basketball coach, which I also, I mean, she's iconic. I mean, like, hearing them on the phone and being like, something's wrong and then driving the whole way over there. It's great. I mean, yeah. And I think it's funny because. And I think after this, we can move into our cue and slay um, Mm -hmm. that I was looking on Letterboxd again because like it's a it's a even though it's a B-horror movie, I think it's a well-known movie within pop culture to a certain degree. Most people have heard of it, even if like me, they think it's fake. Um, So um, but I was looking at some of the reviews and like I feel like most of the people that I know who have reviewed this movie and given it like on the lower end are men, which I think is that. Yes you can dislike or like a movie. Like I'm not really going to read that deeply into it, but there is a part of me that's like, it's not for you. You wouldn't get it. Like it literally is not for you. Get out of my slumber party. Like I don't (laughs) want your fucking star rating. Um, That's how I feel about that. But um, anyways, now we can move on to the first ever of season four. (gasps) Hugh and Slay. Ooh. (laughs) 
the girls who cried be horror. So, Alex, let yes. me lead us into this with our first question of the Q&A, which is, um, what's your favorite, and there's a lot of them. Sometimes we do movies that don't have any. Um, this had a good amount. Some of them off screen, but they're still a good amount. Um, what's your favorite kill of Slumber Party Massacre? Okay. My favorite kill is one of the boys. I believe his name is mm. Neil. He is the one who, because the two boys, once they have discovered the pizza boy's body, which is really how they discover that there is a killer on the loose coming for them. The boys decide that they're going to be, you know, men and they're going to, you know, protect the women and they're going to, they're going to go get help, but they're going to split up because, you know, if one of them dies, at least the other one will probably make it. Spoiler alert. They both suck. and They both die. Um, So they split up. Neil chooses to go out the front door and run to Valerie's house across the street to try to get help from her. And unfortunately for him, he is, she is watching a horror movie um, so as he is banging on the door, it is mirrored by the sounds of somebody in her film, like trying to like get let in. So it's very, it's like very much mirroring each other and she doesn't hear yeah. him until it is too late. Um, but when he, the driller killer finally catches up to him, he pushes him onto the grass and he stabs him, which is not in and of itself a very interesting death, but the stabbings are, in my opinion, pretty brutal for this film because you don't get to see a ton of the actual yeah. kills on screen. And he's just going to town on him. And they intercut it with the horror film that she is watching. So it's just like a very well-edited scene. And to yeah. me, it is the most effective kill. And also, I don't have an emotional connection to Neil, so I can just fully enjoy him getting his ass right. <laughs> right. No, I think it's a great choice. And yeah, the, the editing specifically in that scene mm-hmm. of like – cutting back and forth between like the movie she's watching which i love that like yeah she's just like home alone by herself i guess her little sister upstairs like mm-hmm. watching this horror movie like and i remember being like how loud is she listening to this like this motherfucker is <laughs> pounding on her door screaming and she's like not hearing any of it she does um, like kind of glance to the door at one point like oh, did i hear something whatever <laughs> but after like so long like after he's already been like dragged away from the door to yeah. be stabbed in the grass um great scene um I feel like I, sometimes I feel like with movies we watch, as I said in general, like there's not a lot to pick from. Or like sometimes I'm just like, I only have one that I really cared about. Or this one I was mm-hmm. like, there's so much to pick from, I feel like. Um, I would say probably my top is um, Diane in the garage. Specifically the one, too, of like her going back to the garage, getting in the car to like kiss her boyfriend and his head falls off. <laughs> I think is super fun. And then her immediately getting out and then the driller killer's there. And while you don't see her death on screen... It is the first time I feel like we get the shot and it's a great shot of like her Mm -hmm. on the floor beneath him, him standing over her. And it's a shot like from between his legs and he has the drill. And it's just so clearly like the first time you're fully seeing like this drill as like a phallic symbol. Um, Once again, then it cuts. We don't see her get killed, which I know is disappointing. Mm -hmm. But like, I think the combination of decapitated boyfriend and then like, oh my God, scary drill penis. Um, really works for me and I think it works overall for all the other things we were talking tonally and like story-wise for the film um mm-hmm. but I feel like two that I, I want to make a quick note of that were also fun is um pizza delivery boy yes I was um, gonna bring that up too because yeah I mean it's like he comes to the door the boys answer the door or and they're like how much is it or like and, and it's the driller killer answering and he's like six so far, like him, like saying like the <laughs> amount of people he's killed, which is funny. And then they open the door and it's like the great shot of like, his like eyes have been like drilled out with these like bloody masses where his eyes should be. And he just like tips forward with the pizza. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, I think is really fun. And it's, it's, I mean, it's exactly the kind of kill, as we've said a million times, when you have like a themed slasher or something where it's like it takes place at a certain event or whatever, play into that. So that's so fun yeah. that it's like you order pizza to sleep over and then like, uh-oh, here comes the pizza delivery boy and he's dead. Yeah. Um, I think it's really fun. Um, yeah, I think that's the best moment of like, you know, I don't want to, it's not necessarily like a practical effect, but like the gore of like his empty eye yes. sockets look so good. Oh, I love it. And I mean, there's something about it that feels, even though it's not, like, there's something about it that feels inherently like killer clowns from outer space, like a little mm. bit of that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. I think because it's, like, goofy and also there's, like, obviously all the bits in killer clowns where they're, like, at people's doors. I think there's only one where they're, like, at someone's door and they're, like, pizza, and it's, like, not pizza, obviously, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, but I think also the telephone repair woman from the beginning of the movie, there's something about that, the fact that, like, it's broad daylight and it's this moment where, like, she has these two teenage boys kind of tailing her being like, would you date a younger man? And she's just, like, so cool about it and, like, smooth. And, like, she just knows she's so much hotter and better. And, like, she's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, bye. And then she gets into the van and it's immediately, like, attacked. And it's her, like, banging on the van, like, these guys that are just walking away being like, help me, help me. And they can't hear her. And it's, like, really devastating. I feel like it's, like, it's very a Randy good, Meeks. Scary. Oh yeah, girl. It's so oh. Randy Meeks. Yeah. Rest in peace, may he. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, lots of lots of fun death in this movie, which is always a yeah. Win. It it they are all for the most part pretty fun, even considering the fact that so many of them you don't actually get to see on yeah. screen. And his is also great because you know he gets like his fucking hand chopped off, and then he gets yeah. like fucking his bowel. He gets disemboweled, and then he gets stabbed like a few more times, like. They get him pretty good. He gets what's coming to him. All right. Well, this is a very good script. So I'm sure that there will be a few options. What's your favorite line? My favorite line. The first time I watched, I had a favorite line. And this time I was like, actually, I have a different favorite line, I feel. Which is, it's right before the shower scene starts. So we're in the locker room. We're like panning. It's like, oh, we're going to go to the showers. And we can't see, so we can't see who says it, but somebody says out loud to the, in theory, room of naked girls, and she's like, you know, I think your tits are getting bigger, and then it's a unison of multiple girls going, mine? Um, which I just <laughs> thought was so funny. As someone that loves to talk about her own titties, I just love this moment of, like, all these girls being like, wait, my tits? Are, are my tits getting bigger? Because it's not done in a way where it's like, they're like, oh, no, big tits. It's kind of like this, no. like, wait, me? Me? Um... Which I think is really silly and funny, especially when you're going to lead into this like gratuitous shower scene. Like, mm-hmm. give me something lighthearted and silly to get to get into it. So that was my favorite line. What about you? Incredible. I mean, my favorite line is probably most people's favorite line. So it's not going to be a huge shocker mm-hmm. here, but it's the moment when um, let me get her name real quick. When Jackie is like, "Girl, I'm hungry," and they're like, "Well, <laughs> there's a pizza here." So they go up to the the corpse of the pizza delivery boy and Kim says she touches him and she says he's dead all right so cold and Jackie goes is the pizza and I and then she just starts <laughs> to eat pizza on top of she like puts the pizza box on the corpse opens it up starts eating it and then she continues and goes well life goes on after all and eating makes me feel best when I feel bad and boy do I feel bad and then she takes a bite of the pizza and goes oh, I feel better already really I do and it's just so um, <laughs> campy and silly and stupid. I love it. That's my favorite scene <laughs> in the whole movie. Just like eating pizza off a corpse. I know. Well, that's the best part. It's like she doesn't yeah. just take the pizza box and like pull it out from under him and like go over and eat. <laughs> which like there would be a part of that that would play real to me where I'd be like, 
I don't, yeah, if you're hungry and you're like, I don't yeah. know, like in a state of shock, you're like, I gotta eat. It's the fact that she then chooses to put the box on top of the dead body and eat off top of him. Yeah, which he's is a table so now. ridiculous and funny. Oh my God. And then, yeah, the other girls being like, oh my God, what are you doing? She's like, no, no, <laughs> I mean it. Like, I feel good. Um, Literally what I would do with a fucking cold Domino's pizza. You couldn't stop me. I know you would. Um, I have um, great moment. one very um, brief alternative as well. It was very small, but you brought it up earlier when they're talking horoscopes. Yes. Um, because Jackie is reading yes. the horoscopes out and Diane is like very much the bitch of the group. Um, she's just like a little bit snobby, a little bit stuck up. And Jackie's like, okay, sign. And she goes, Scorpio, of course. And Jackie's like, of course. And it just made me laugh so much because – Diane would be a fucking Scorpio. Like, hands down, yeah. no question. Oh, I was my like, God. Oh, my God. I loved that. Scorpio, of course. Of course. Well, that's my favorite thing. And I don't brag on astrology at all. Like, girl, I love to eat it up. But I'm one of those people that's like, if you tell me something about an Aries and I'm like, oh, I like that. I'll be like, yeah, it's real. It's true. If you tell me something about an Aries that I don't like, I'm like, this is oh, fake. there's a lot of negative qualities about Aries. <laughs> oh, don't you remind me often. Um, but – my favorite thing is in general when people do that shit where they're just like, oh, like you're a cancer? No, like that tracks. Like I could see that about you. Where I'm just like, there's Girl, no I do that. I never, like, well, it's just funny because it's like, I feel like most of the time people were like, oh, explain. Like it was just like, because in theory, like I could just go up to people and be like, what's your sign? And they could say anything. I'd be like, no, no, no. No, no, I saw that for you. Like I could tell before I even got up to you. And it's just like, no one really ever asks people to be like, really? Why? Explain in detail. It's just like, they can just like pull shit out of their ass, which I think is funny as hell. Like, I just think like lean into the like, yeah, no, no, no. I believe this fully. No, no, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't get it. Um, I would it's... say I have like four signs that I know like insanely well that I know like all of the positive and negative qualities of. And if I were to be like, oh, you're an Aries, I could tell you why you're an Aries or like a Libra or an Aquarius. But I could never be like, Oh, you're a Taurus? I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah. Still learning. <laughs> I really only know about Aries because I'm obviously self-absorbed. Um, and That's good quality of an Aries. <laughs> I don't think you said it's a good quality. That was really nice of you. Um, well, Aries are very self-involved, but not necessarily in a bad way. They just love themselves very confident. They're a fire sign. Got to look out for number one, baby. Yeah, baby. Maybe. Um. And yeah, two other lines that I'll mention is beginning of the movie right when the boys are harassing the telephone repair woman. And um, the one guy is trying to like be smooth and like say a pickup line. He's like, oh, you know, my number is out of order. And his other friend pulls him away. And he's like, your number is zero. <laughs> um, which That's I was just way. like, I mean, you both suck. But like, yeah, like real in your friend, buddy. And then the other one, which was originally my favorite line of the movie, which is um, Valerie talking to her sister when she's like kind of like berating her about like, let's go next door. Let's go next door. It's very early on. She's like making Kool-Aid in the kitchen. And she says, as the famous Jim Jones once said, shut up and drink your Kool-Aid. Um, oh, I actually don't like that line because – Oh, oh Jim, you said – we definitely talked Because about Jim Jones like. did not give them Kool-Aid. He gave them flavor aid. It is a yes. common misconception that it was Kool-Aid. It was flavor aid. So that line – irked me. I was like, ah, that's not correct, actually. Oh, my God. Actually, you push up your glasses. No, actually. <laughs> when did we talk about that? We definitely talked about that on this podcast before because I remember you saying this. Yeah, I don't remember, but it's definitely come up before. I've, maybe well, another – honestly, another film probably – another film probably did the same thing because – that's what most yeah. people think, but it's not true. Well, because I feel like people, oh, people are always saying, like, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Like, that's yeah. the, the thing people say. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same concept. It's a fucking flavored sugar drink. It's I disgusting. feel like it's one of those things where it's, like, people say, like, 
Kleenex as like a yeah. universal thing for like a tissue. Or band aid. Kleenex is a is a brand. Exactly, it's a brand. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but like it's the it just becomes like what you know, yeah. and everyone knows what you're saying. But yeah, if you're getting like nitpicky, you're like, well, actually, well, technically, it's not that. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> if there's a true crime thing involved, I will be actually. She will be all yeah. day long. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, Alex, if Mm -hmm. you were at the Slumber Party Massacre or just living in Venice Beach at the time, who would be your partner in crime? This one was difficult because so many of the women are worthwhile to be my partner in crime. They're such great characters. And I struggled. For a while, I was between Valerie and Courtney because – as somebody who has an older sister, a lot of times I see myself as the Courtney. Um, mm. But now that I am like not a teenager anymore, I would probably compare myself more to a Valerie, especially mm. in like our relationship. Like you would probably be the Courtney to my Valerie. So I couldn't really like pick between them. So then I was like, fuck it. I'm in love with Trish. So I picked Trish because <laughs> she's just a very kind soul. Like at the end of the day, she wants people to feel included. She's seems like a really great friend because she is throwing a fun party and she's allowing her friend to go do whatever she wants with her boyfriend, even though, you know, the whole point was for them to be together. Um, and I just, and I, I love her. So Trish. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. My answer was also Trish. I think yeah, she's, she's beautiful and she's great. And I would want to be her girlfriend or just her friend. Like I, yeah, I just, there was some, from the beginning of the movie, as I said, like, I was just, like, enamored with her. I was like, I love you. And I think that's something that's great about her as a character is the fact that, and it's kind of things we already said, where it's just like, I mean, in this movie, we technically get more than one final girl. But, like, if you look at our two, like, the biggest, I guess, final girls in the movie, it's Trish and Valerie. Obviously, there's the sister there or whatever. But it's these two, really. And... I like the fact that, like, Valerie is very much more, like, the stereotypical, you know, in many ways, the final girl, because it's, like, she's the one that's kind of, like, on her, by her own doing, but, like, she's isolated, Mm -hmm. she's got a little sibling to look after, she's much more responsible, quote-unquote, feeling, whereas, like, Trish is the sexy, beautiful, I mean, mind you, all these women are beautiful and sexy, but, like, the sexy beautiful popular girl it seems like who has all the boys is having like a slumber party where they're drinking and they're doing drugs where it feels like she would be the one to go but like she's not so I love that she gets to survive and once again it doesn't we didn't they didn't have to be like well we're justifying it because we're giving her this crazy traumatic background or whatever it's like no she's just an average girl who god forbid likes to have fucking fun with her friends on the weekend and she still gets to survive and that's fucking awesome but yeah exactly what you said she's so kind-hearted like I just would feel like so safe with her and like so like loved and genuinely like not in a way where it's like oh like she's being fake with me because I'm the new girl or or whatever Mm -hmm. like so I would just I feel like be drawn to her immediately team Trish fucking love Trish oh she's a great final girl and I do love that the film allows for three final girls which is kind of unheard of you know in this genre excuse me um, all right, so my original question? Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, I've been going through it the last week, so my brain has not been on uh, 100. So I was like, original question? Um, so yeah. it's going to be real real fucking basic here. Um, Anya, if you were to throw your dream slumber party, I would love to know 
<clears throat> how many people would you would be the perfect amount of people for you to have there? Would you want to have it in your home or in one of your friends' homes? And like, what would that light look like? What would the activities be? What would the food situation be? What's your dream slumber party? My God, would a would a driller killer show up? Oh, probably. <laughs> um, girl, this is like the most fun question, you know. Um, I want to say I was saying this to I think Cornelia. I have to share this story briefly. Growing up when I would have birthday parties, probably in like timeline wise, I'm thinking like late elementary school, early middle school, there was a period of like, I want to say like a run of like at least three years where every year I was like, you know what I want to do for my birthday party? I want to have a sleepover with all my girlfriends, mm-hmm. which in theory seems normal, but then it would end up being like inviting over like seven or eight girls of this age, which I already know is a nightmare. Too many. Like I just know what it is. It's too many. And then girl, you know me, I can be very much like, which is why sometimes I don't like to do anything at all where I'm like, I like things to be a certain way or like, I and, like, and not in a way where I feel like it's like controlling, but like, you know, now I have people in my life like you or whatever. It's like, we have the same idea of like what would be fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at that time it was like, that's de- definitely not the case. So there was like a period of three years where like I kept doing this sleepover birthday party and I would get angry at everyone within the first half hour. Mind you, they're supposed to leave over. Like it was unreal. And there was one year when somebody caught me the corpse bride on DVD as a gift at the party. Great gift. We were in my basement, which was like a finished basement. had like a TV and everything. And we also used to have like a bunch of like, because when we were younger, we had like a play like dot, like a, it used to be like it's usually what you see outside but like a play little house downstairs in the basement like the fake like food type shit like stupid mm-hmm. shit like that you have as a kid which i think is great i don't want to i don't really want to say that's stupid it's great no, i love those oh so good and we're like everyone of course is like running around like we drank soda have so much sugar like they're doing all shit and i got this dvd and i was like well it's my birthday party my birthday i would like us all to sit down and watch the corpse bride and nobody wanted to do it we put that movie on in a meal, like everyone's up and running around. And I remember I was so fucking angry, so angry. And I was like, but it got to the point where I was like, what can I, what can I do? Other than like literally throwing an extreme fit and like throwing a tantrum. So I remember, and I only somewhat remember this. And then the other half was like, where's my mother telling me? But like, I'm on the floor, like lying on like a nice big floor pillow, like cocooned in a blanket, just sitting there solemnly like stone faced watching corpse bride and my mom does the classic like oh coming down to check on you guys how's it going and she just sees like all the lights are off all these other girls are like fucking about doing stupid shit like nothing they're not supposed to be but like clearly like in their own world and i'm middle of the floor just lying watching corpse bride and she like, comes over and she's like hey like is everything okay and i said something like i just want all of them to shut up because I was like trying to watch my friend. And I just like think about that to this day. And I'm like, yeah. Mm. And honestly, I'm the same. Valid. So all this to say, I don't think I would have a large number. Although that being said, I think now because my friend group is a lot of people, a lot of friends that like, I think get me better. And we have the same idea. I would say with myself included, ideal number is five. So me and four friends, four female friends. Um, Which if Valerie came to the sleepover, that would have been. Mm-hmm. The number of girls um and oh god there's so many layers so what would we do i mean what would we eat i mean they had great snacks at their summer she had like a, a dish of like twinkies 
and like a bowl of like, did you see that she had like a dish of Twinkies oh girl I'm going full like we're getting Twinkies we're getting like cheese puffs and Doritos we're ordering a fucking pizza Sicilian mm-hmm. cut girl I need a square pizza um I mean I love Domino's and that's also an option but like Domino's doesn't have, have fucking Sicilian cut so sorry um I mean, like, girl, we have to have ice cream. Like, I'm going, like, fully, like, I'm thinking, um, like, daddy daycare type shit when, like, the kids are, like, mm-hmm. eating, like, all the sugar. Like, that's my ideal um, slumber party meal. Um, mozzarella sticks. Oh, bitch. Um, and, I mean, ideally, like, I would love, like, a slumber party where, like, yeah, we're all in, like, cozy PJs. We're, like, sitting out in the living room. Uh we don't have like planned activities, but I would love like, you know, like, oh, maybe we have like a little fire going in the fireplace and like we play like some board games. We, I would love, play. I loved playing that shit and I still do. Like the kind of girly things where it's like, we're going to play MASH. We're going to read your horoscope. We're going to like go around and each say like who we think like your perfect man would be and like what his qualities would be. Oh my God. I fucking eat that shit up knife and fork every time. And then obviously ending up the night with like, let's watch like, silly fun horror movies until we fall asleep preferably ones where there's like also like a hot like guy so we can also be like a little horny about it too um that's my ideal and then if I'm really pushing like what would really be fun is like once we get to that part of the night it's like did you guys hear that outside and then it's like (laughs) Uh oh, there's a crazy slasher trying to break in, and some of us might not survive. That's my ideal um, slumber party. What about you? Um, I mean, almost identical, honestly, which makes sense because it's very similar to the slumber party that we had uh, on New Year's Eve. Over New Year's, but, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I agree. Four friends, so I would be the fifth, is ideal. I could do three, but I think four would be fun. Uh, have an odd number. I yeah I would definitely get pizza but triangle cut um because that's me and I would have a lot of snacks and I would probably have like Sunday fixins because I would want to have a bunch of desserts and like if it was nice out I would want to maybe do like an outside fire pit where we could like tell ghost stories and like you know roast s'mores um I would love to play like some kind of fun game or gossip and yeah definitely have to end the night with horror movies for sure and there would probably be a big bag of Maui Wowie like Kim brought at my party okay well it sounds like we're a match made in fucking heaven when it comes to slumber parties um my OG question for you we've done similar OG questions in the past um but if and let me get my thoughts together I'd love to get ahead of myself we were doing a remake slumber party mm-hmm. massacre which the sci-fi network kind of did um yes. like a year or two ago um we'll get around to that at some point um but i'm thinking more like let's think bigger budget like it's getting a theatrical release it's not going to be annoying like fucking black christmas it's going to be the same kind of shit it's going to be good let's we're we're, mm-hmm. we're manifesting it's gonna be good who would you want to be your five girls, so the four girls at the slumber party and then, you know, girl across the street. And who would you want to play Driller Killer? Ooh. Ideal casting moment. It's so hard because, like, there's so many women I would want to pick. And I feel like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies did, like, a very similar kind of thing where, like, that cast was yeah. amazing. And so my brain's immediately, like, I want Rachel Sennett there. But it's, like, but she's already done, like, a similar kind of film. Um, so, oh, that's so hard. Okay. Um... I will, just, I will say, like, Rachel said it would be too biting. Like, she's so funny yeah. in a specific way where it's, like, 
I don't know if she would fit. I the first person I would want for sure would be Haley Lou Richardson because I love Ooh. her. I think she's really okay. funny. I think she could play any different kind of character that we wanted in that group. Um, so I would pick Haley Lou for sure. Um, mm. It's tough too because like you want to find like a similar age range with these women. Yeah. Um, she'd probably be a little bit older, but I don't care because I want to put her in everything. I put Patty Harrison in it. Don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> Patty Harrison plays the, the lesbian basketball coach. Honestly, yeah. Patty Harrison as the coach would be fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, does it have to be all women? I guess no, it would. No, it can be however you would like to cast it. I feel like I would want Bowen Yang in the in the cast because I really like him. And I think he's really funny okay. and I think he could be a part of the, the friend group. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put him in there. Oh, boy. Two more. Okay. Um, let's put in – because I'm kind of on a kick of her right now. Uh, let's do Aubrey Plaza. This is an older skewing slumber party. I love it. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna make it work. You put me on the spot to name five actresses. So I really did. Yeah. Any name mind, just shout it out. Um, and lastly, who would be my final slot? Oh, you know what? Oh, you know what? <laughs> She's she definitely would look older, but I think you can make it work. I'm gonna put Quinta Brunson in there. Oh, okay. I think Quinta Brunson yeah. is really funny. And I think she could I, – I mean, obviously, I only know her as, like, a writer, comedian, um, actress. But, you know, I think she could do horror really well. And obviously, if it's, like, a horror comedy. And then in terms of the driller killer, I mean, yeah. I feel like fucking Josh Rubin would just, like, eat. Oh, Josh. Josh, if you're listening, we've got a yeah, pitch I, for you. I just like – you know that Josh is like really good at those like psycho intense no, scares. He would, be, he would be really, really good at yeah, killer. Josh Rubin. Not to always talk about Josh Rubin, but I would pick him. I think he's like – about he Josh has, like, in a while. It's, it's so funny because like he's such a nice man, but he plays yes. the creep like impeccably and you're like <laughs> – Yes. It's, oh, it's, it's, he's so good at it that you like have to be like – why are you so good at that? But like, what's going having, on under there? Buddy? Having like interacted with him and everything that I know about him, I'm like, no, you're just like a really Kindest kind, man. wonderful kind man. man. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's my really weird cast. But there you go. All right. Well, um, <laughs> my cast, which I probably could have put more thought into, but of course, it's similarly, I was just like, who are some people that I like? So, my cast of girls. Um, I don't have any thoughts in mind, particularly of who they'd play, but like these would be the five girls that would be at the sleepover or end up at the sleepover. Joey King, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's no fucking world in which I'm not putting Joey King in this fucking movie. Of course. Um, Bella Ramsey. Right. I mean, they are of the moment. Um, they, okay. I believe they're they're queer. Um, uh, so I can really lean into that queerness. Um, and they're just mm-hmm. a really talented actor. And I think that um, – they have a, a sweetness and a tenderness to them that I really like about the original Summer Party Massacre mm-hmm. that I want to see here. Um, I oh I I really struggle with her last name. You probably know how to say it. Um, Stephanie mm-hmm. Hugh or Hyao from Everything oh, All yes. at Once. Yes. Um, I mean, once again, she is fantastic. I think she was such a great actress. And she's great. I and once again. Yeah. Judging by the stuff in everything ever all at once, I think she also contains this multitude for an ability to like have that mm-hmm. tenderness that I really want. Yes. Um, Jasmine Savoy Brown, 
obviously. Kevin oh my god, yeah, of course. In many ways. I can't believe I didn't um, pick Jasmine. Ugh, also, god damn. You know, into the just the whole, yeah, the whole cast of Yellow Jackets. That's the Literally. cast. <laughs> we put them in a sleepover, but it's not in the middle of the woods and they're not having to eat each yeah. other. Um, and then my to round out my fifth girl, I'm surprised you didn't say her, uh, Miss Jenna Ortega. <gasps> She's I was too on the a fan club card revoked. Oh my god! I'm sorry. Yeah, I. You're picking two scream bitches. Okay. I know. Well, I mean, in my I head, mean, I'm I picking Jasmine from Yellow Jackets. Um, right. <laughs> and I'm picking Jenna from, I guess, Scream. Um, I mean, they're not playing the same character, but that's what I was envisioning in my head. And then, yeah. in terms, I mean, you really knocked out of the park with Joshua. But like, once you said, I was like, damn, I didn't think of that, but like, that's really good. Um. I think, and it feels basic to say because it feels like very of the the moment. But I do think, you know, at the end of the day, if he can do it, well, he can do it well. I would almost lean Bill Skarsgård for Driller Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think because, like in general, he's a scary looking man. He's beautiful, but he's also a scary looking man. He's very yes. tall, very intimidating, and I think he can also obviously play that kind of like bug eyed, Pennywise, like unhinged. He's an intense stare. Yes, and yeah. I think that's what you need. You have to be able to pull off the like. <gasps> Like, no words, just, like, staring into your soul type mm-hmm. shit, so. And I think, Good like, choice. most of these girls, I feel like Joey King is is small. Bella Ramsey is small. Jenna Ortega is small. I don't know about Stephanie or Jasmine, how, like, height-wise, but I feel like having them Jasmine on the is smaller tall. side and, and him being, like, taller also, like, adds to, like, the mm. scariness of it, but that's my dream. Meanwhile, my cast is, like, remake. all different ages. <laughs> <laughs> You Whatever. just were saying names. I was like, okay, Aubrey Plaza's okay, you know here now. I'll, I'll switch out Patty for uh, Jenna. How about that? And then it's right, well, you more can keep Patty. You can, we just you just did an extra casting. Patty can be the, the the gym coach. Yeah, I do. I still do want to have Bowen in there because he's really funny, and I love him. And I don't care that he's not a woman. He's queer. That's fine. He's allowed at the slumber party. Yeah. Great. Amazing. Wow. Now that we've gotten that out of the way to um, round everything out, we have to do our final rating of Slumber Party Massacre. Alex, on our fantastic scale from Busty Blonde to Final Girl, what are you giving this movie? I really, really enjoy Slumber Party Massacre. I think as a slasher, it works. As a feminist film, it works. Um, And I think it's – every time I watch it, I find new lines that I, like, didn't catch the time before that – are really funny so yeah it's gonna be a solid four star boy next door you know really really enjoy it highly recommend um i agree completely boy next door i would love uh to give it a, a five a final girl i think the only thing for me is that like i think the even though I, there's so much movie that i love and i'm serious saying like i still think it works i think there's a little bit of a disconnect in the fact that like obviously it was like written one way and then like kind mm-hmm. of perceived another way where i think like if they had both kind of been on board with the same thing and also in general like sometimes like they get a little more money to do it perhaps maybe like a little less exploitation unless the girlies mm-hmm. were into it um it, it would be perfect um but yeah really good really solid I love it every time I rewatch it um which is always a nice feeling sometimes it's like you have those movies where you're like I watched it that one time and I liked it but that could be circumstantial like everything yeah. you watch it you're not sure we're like this one is like I know I'm gonna like it every time I watch it like it's good every time mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, solid four, solid way to, um, start the season out with a boy next door film. Um, a boy next door film that's all about girls at a slumber party. Exactly. Not a boy next door in sight in this movie, let me tell you. 
Um, other than I guess maybe snail hunting neighbor, but he's a fucking weirdo. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was Slumber Party Massacre. Um, thank you everybody for listening and coming along. And we have so much fun in store for season four. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check our season three final episode, which was Puppet Master, which was also really fun. And our season three finale special with Roberto Guevara, which was us going through the uh, entirety of the Scream franchise, giving opinions on different aspects of the franchise. And it was also very fun. So check those out. Stay tuned for more to come. Uh, And as always, keep it creepy. Bye. Thanks for listening. Hi creeps, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We'd like to take a minute to give thanks to Rachel Baldwin, who is the mastermind behind our incredible new intro music. You can follow her on Instagram at Rachel K. Baldwin, and all of her other music is available to stream on all major streaming platforms. We'd also like to thank Raymond Lowell, who's the incredible artist behind our podcast, Artwork. You can follow him on Instagram at rblowell to see all his other incredible work. And then for your two lovely hosts, Alex can be found on Letterboxd at Alex Branley, and I, Anya, can be found on Letterboxd at agarity 15 as well as Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all things related to our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, follow us on Twitter at Girls Who Cried BH, and if you'd like to send us a message very personally, you can email us at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. Until next time, creeps, keep it creepy.